Spring, 2012. As with any intelligent being, as soon as I got back to school, I quickly worked on hiding myself in books and schoolwork to forget about the heartache that I was feeling, or would feel, once I could care. Fortunately, I was given some distractions, including the challenge of reading through the whole Bible within the semester. I also received a new roommate, and it was just the two of us out in Valencia, a Valencia foreman. RJ is a great guy, and I have to say, one of those guys that you realize just how much you respect him once he's gone. True, he got distracted hanging around his girlfriend most of the semester, but we did have our share of nice, intellectual conversations. I tried to explain to him that people on campus simply didn't like me, but he could never figure out what they saw that made them dislike me. Although he did concur by the end of the semester that certain people really didn't like me. He had some theories, but they all turned out inconclusive. I also started going to breakfast regularly and met a small group of good friends in my early morning socialization. Thomas, Sean, Man of God, James West, and I made up the main breakfast companions, although RJ, Tyson, and some girls would join us on occasions. We were all rather intellectual guys, so it was lovely to be able to have intellectual conversations and whatnot, and people seemed a lot more chill that early in the morning. However, my friendship with friendships before 8 a.m. were increasing. My other relationships were slowly fading away. Laura's boyfriend was back on campus, so I saw her very little throughout the semester. Tristan was very busy with his new girlfriend, Melissa, so he came around hardly never. I also didn't really approve of the relationship since I was still rather ticked that Tristan broke up with Jerry Lynn in the first place. I had a lovely conversation with Laura on this subject one day late in April when I was practically frustrated at the world. Laura is truly amazing in that she's willing to listen to people like myself when we're just frustrated and broken. So since I made a resolve not to sit with the two of them at meals, it made it difficult to ever actually see Tristan. And Tristan decided to fast for the whole month of January, so that made him not really at mealtimes to begin with. I tell you, dear reader, it's one thing to lose a girlfriend, but I prepared myself to make sure that losing her didn't hurt, but it really hurt to look up and see just how alone I was in the world. The small inlets of friendship to Laura and Tristan had almost seemingly vanished, at least on any consistent level, and I once again was left to fend for myself. There were a few seniors who I ate with here and there, but most of them didn't really like me and mainly put up with me because I was the polite thing to do. Although this fact may be my negativity, I beg that you ask RJ for his opinion on the validity of this statement. And then, sometime around spring break, I realized something depressing. Jerry Lynn's cuddles had worn off. And in my mind, a million songs were playing. And I was trying so desperately to find the right words. To be able to write a lovely song that would woo this love back to me. Because everything that I hadn't let myself feel 
I was now feeling. And all of the love and passion and concern that I'd held back was flooding out of me. And there was no one there for me to love. Not even my friends had stuck around. So I looked around desperately wanting to love someone, only to find that the only person left who cared about me was myself. Literally, every day, for so long, I walked around thinking about how I had everything I ever could have wanted, and how I just let it all go because I wasn't strong enough to commit myself and to care. My frustration with Tristan grew because I knew that he possessed the power to have made everything work out. Hell, Jerry Lynn still loved him enough that he could walk right back to her with the key to her heart and everything would be fine. Unfortunately, I knew that I didn't possess that key. I mainly walked under the assumption that Jerry Lynn had only dated me because of Tristan and locking certain channels to begin with. And, if I stood alone in the world, I could only bet on my own abilities for success, and I only bet highly against those. I guess I was wrong. I should have tried a lot harder. But I didn't know that all of my school friends would completely abandon me again. I also couldn't have guessed at how wonderful of a person Jerry Lynn truly is. Sometimes we just need time to process and understand certain things. And that's what I needed in my relationship with Jerry Lynn. But there was no time. So it didn't work out. That's how life goes. The following is a letter that I sent Jerry Lynn, ironically on her birthday at the end of April, in my tradition of saying sorry. But these were the thoughts that permeated my mind for much of March and April. I guess all that I really wanted to say is that I'm sorry. For some reason, despite all that I write, this seems to be the hardest to write. Not because I don't want to write it. Not because I'm apathetic towards the situation, nor because I care so much that without a certain response, I'll die. No, it's just hard for me to admit that I messed up. And on top of that, I'm just surrounded by such apathy that despite, what is the quote from Orange? But she remained at home till it nearly killed him. But that doesn't complete the thought. Actually caring. I just look out and see nothing. And maybe that's why I have to say that I'm sorry. Because I never really could care. And I don't know why. It was the same thing with Ashley. I just never really could care despite wanting to. And it kills me inside to wake up every morning and realize that I had everything I could ever want and it's my fault for messing it up because I wasn't strong enough to do this or that. But I have to be strong because there ain't a friend in the world who's going to be there for me or support me or who I can talk to. I hear a voice in my mind. It's just fucked up. The way everyone treats each other and how no one really cares and it breaks my heart every day to know that I added to it. I guess I want to be cool. Do something cool. Do 
He's some cool person who can do some epic scene like Robin Williams and what dreams may come where he tells his wife everything that he's sorry for. But if our lives were that simple, we'd live in the past. I'll never be that. I'll never be perfect. And I'll probably never even know what I messed up on. Just endless guessing of the mind. Just if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, that would mean a lot. And if not, I'm just a complete and total jerk, which is probably true by this point. Then I'd at least like to know, let you know that I'm sorry. If I could do everything again, I'd do it differently. I just look around and see that it really, I really don't have anyone in my life that cares about me. Not like you did anyways. And that kills me inside because all I want is someone to care. But I'll press on and find someone one day. It's just holding on to hope. Every day something crosses my mind for one reason or another that just makes me regret my apathy towards you. And I just figured you should know. It's in my nature to be stupid and say dumb things. So why stop here and why stop now? person and honestly if I can ever be half as great of a person as you are then I know that I've done well for myself and if you ever need anything well I owe you one if not much more I hope my pointless ramblings find you well and I know you'll do great things in your life you're a great person and don't let anyone tell you differently also meant the start of another season of Arena Football. The season opener for Pittsburgh versus Orlando down in Orlando. And I got my granddad to give me really good tickets. And we all went down to have a nice time. The game, however, was played by replacement players. So the overall greatness of the night was slightly spoiled by that. But despite everything, I had my Predators back. Sort of. The Power won the game because more of their real players crossed over and played in the second half. I planned my schedule around arena football and watched most games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday nights. I was able to watch most teams a couple of times and went down to Tampa where my brother was, interning for all of Tampa's home games until June or July, where I missed good games against the Soul and the Voodoo. The Predators, however, struggled to win a game and started off 0-5 despite having halftime leads against Chicago. Okay, they trailed at half, but only because they let up a TD off a kickoff with six seconds left, San Antonio, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh came back from the largest deficit ever in an AFL game. That's how you start off a season 0 and 5. The Predators would win a low scoring game against Georgia before blowing halftime leads against the Seoul and New Orleans. Only the Predators' trip to Tampa saw the Predators get blown out in the first half. But with the 1 and 8 records, Predators were far out of playoff contention by mid-May. Technically, an 8-10 and 10 team made the playoffs that year, so the Predators could have climbed back into the mix. However, the next three games were against Jacksonville, Philly, and in San Jose, all three who were good playoff teams. My second team, the Power, didn't do much better. 
Despite the opening night win with the replacement players and the comeback against Orlando, Pittsburgh only won three more games, one of which was a forfeit by Cleveland. Pittsburgh had a favorable schedule and wasn't realistically eliminated from playoff contention until late June. The Power finished 5-13, and and the Predators finished 4-14. and Despite my devotion to watching arena football, I watched a lot of losing football. It was nice to go to the games, though. List. Opening night, Orlando. Sean, Grandad, and Uncle Bernie. Tampa Bay vs. Georgia. RJ, Joe, Matt. Tampa Bay vs. Jacksonville. James West. Tampa vs. Cleveland. Zach. Tampa vs. Kansas City. Abel. Orlando vs. Jacksonville. Laura. With my dwindling number of friends, the odds of me meeting even a girl to flirt with was fairly low, but I did stumble upon a girl who talked with me. Although this isn't really an admirable relationship, or even one at all, and I merely wish to explain it to help convey some of the darker sides of myself. I had known Rachel Register when she went to school with me, but she had since withdrawn and was going to community college in Orlando that was closer to her home. <clears throat> I talked with her on Facebook, mainly because I found her body, particularly her large boobs, highly attractive, and I figured one night, one might as well try to talk to very attractive girls. She was bored since she just moved into a new apartment, so we ended up talking on the phone a lot. It was an interesting friendship because, although I would have loved to make out with her or whatnot, I wasn't really interested in dating her long term, and especially not in marrying her. It's not that she's not beautiful, she's too beautiful to be sure, or that she's not a nice person that I'd love to be friends with, she's pretty cool. She's just rather oversimplistic and not exactly at the intellectual level that I'd rather need in a girlfriend. Like, for example, she didn't like texting because it required too much reading. I tried to be as supportive of her as I could, but like with Sherry Lynn, there was a large part of me that was highly apathetic towards our friendship. It did break my heart that she had no idea how beautiful she was, since she thought she was ugly and too fat. But there's really nothing I could do about that. She was simplistic in her faith, and like many Southeastern girls, focused on what the Christian community stated as norms. So she wasn't very likely to open up to discuss any sexual things, or letting me make out with her, or any of that jazz. I did visit her apartment once just to spend some time with her, but it was mainly a relationship of me objectifying her and channeling my sexual desires into something that would never become reality. In the midst of my reflection on Jerry Lynn, I fell into a heavy state of depression. Towards the end of the semester, I actually missed class and just lay in bed for the whole day. Part of it was that I was running into trouble with my senior thesis, and I honestly felt like anything that I cared about simply didn't matter, and that I'd never find someone to help share my passions with. Eventually, I decided to get back up, continue with life, and finish out the last two weeks of the semester. But I knew that my emptiness and emotional stability was at an alarmingly low place that needed to be monitored with care. Although, that's what I did with Sherry Lynn, and look where I got.